Hey peeps, I thought I'd do an episode today. Um, today's episode, someone asked me a question a few days ago on my Instagram, one of my friends, and I thought, you know what, I want to do an episode regarding it. They asked me, when did you realise that you had mental health? At what age? To be honest with you, I don't think people in my age or just generally as well really know when they get mental health. I think they only realize when they do that self-discovery and they look within themselves and see, okay, when they when they construct the patterns of particular triggers or particular things that either disrespect disrespect their boundaries or make them feel uncomfortable and then of course we have you know society nowadays talks about uh, mental health and anxiety and depression not as much as I would like it I would like society to talk about it um, but they do put labels they've, they've started to put labels on certain things that we feel so funny enough everybody's jumped on the bandwagon of oh yeah I've got depression I've got anxiety or let's put it this way when someone starts talking a little bit negative saying oh you know my life is this and my life is that or you know I've seen so much in my life and they they, they, they they're venting but the other person turns around and say oh my god you've got so many negative stuff to say you never say anything positive besides that yeah so when I realised for, well, when I had mental health, I think was, well, I mean, from my recent breakup, my recent ex, that, that's when it, when it hit me hard where I think my boundaries and my walls have gone up way, way too, too much now. But I realised before that, of course, to, let's say, four or five years ago, that yes, you know, it makes sense when I feel uncomfortable with certain things. And I wanted, this is going to be a very hard thing to talk about. It is part of my life. And I'm, I, I, like I said, my podcast is to share my life and it's something that whoever is listening, the people that are devoted to listening to my podcast, trust me, it takes hell of a lot to sit there and then remember, remember the details and share them with you guys. Because still, yes, I am, I'd like to call it looking within myself and owning that, yeah, I've been through this, this, this happened and, you know, the consequences are this. So... You know, I did a previous episode where I said about rape and sexual assault and all of that. I think the severity severity of when I was... I know I said I mentioned when I was six. That, that when I was six, that was a very vague, vague memory. Very... There's still parts of it that's very not clear. But when I when it really hit me, where it was very uncomfortable uncomfortable for me was when I was about seven. Seven, eight, eight, just turned eight. 
and it was due to the fact of, you know, of course, my mum, she's a single mum, she used to work. No, we, ne- we never had, I never ha- I don't remember, I think my, my childhood changed drastically when I was seven, after seven years, seven years of age. And I'm not going to mention, you know, what my mum did or whatever, because it's her story but yes I will mention you know her actions and how they made me feel and because of her actions which did this this sort of thing happened and by far whoever is listening I don't need no backlash of oh my god no no I'm over that and I can confidently say today this this DNA this error this whatever She's changed. And everybody deserves a second chance. Yes, she hasn't changed in some characteristic traits. She still has some toxic patterns. But she's changed. And she's my mother. It's something that I cannot change. It's something that whoever is up there guiding us or whoever is playing, making us play puppets or whatever, you know, um... He's chosen, or she's chosen, or whatever it is, is chosen for me. And that's one thing I I say in family, like major family, like parents. They are deserving of second chances if they truly prove it to you. If their actions and their words match in the end, at the end of the day, they are deserving of your second chance. So don't hold a grudge for the rest for the majority of your life turn around and have a look because sometimes parents do change when when they've done wrong and they've fucked up that's because they've had shit in their life unfortunately they've seen things that they didn't know how to handle back then (coughs) so anyways when I was eight of course I used to be bullied in school all the time that was a normal thing for me there was not a single day that I wasn't made fun of and I kind of got used to it because that was a thing. Um, I used to stay at this um, childminder's house. And she was a lollipop lady, actually, at my school down the road. And I used to stay with her. And she had three kids, uh, two boys and one girl. The girl was younger than me and the boy was a year younger. And then the other oldest was about two years older than me. I remember staying at their house and, you know, the one, uh, the middle boy, he always want to play mums and dads. And at the time, I thought it was just a, just a game, you know. Uh, I was young. Didn't know. Didn't know much. Of course, things happened that weren't meant to happen. And I'm not going to go into detail. And then, funny enough, you know, I think in that, I, it made me feel uncomfortable, but I could, I never knew how to talk. I was a very quiet child. Very, very quiet. So I never knew how to tell someone. So I went along and this went on for at least good, I'd say roughly a year. Till one day, funny enough, I was staying at their house and their stepdad was there. And I remember their stepdad coming up, he was quite drunk. The mum was away, she was out somewhere. I think she went out for the night or something. And I remember the stepdad coming up and he, he tried to see if I was awake but I wasn't awake. So he went into the stepchildren's room and did what he did. 
anyways, you know, that happened. Men stopped going around their house. I don't know why, but stopped going over. And then I think there was this, after that, I was about nine. And major incident happened where my mum, at the time, she was seeing this guy. And he wasn't the best. And he was, he was horrible. And um, a few things happened with him physically that were not supposed to happen I mean when I say physically I talk about sexually but you know physically as well because I when I was growing up I had asthma I was quite quite strong and um, yeah I think at one point my mum told me to put away some cassettes like back in the day, she used to have loads and loads of cassettes, you know, cassette player and stuff. And I know, I know, a lot of people are gonna ask, "What the fuck are cassettes?" Yeah, well, we used to have cassettes in the house. Cassettes, sorry, cassettes, good cassettes. Um, so she told me to like just dust under it. So I was doing that, and then she went to have a shower or she went to the toilet or something, and he came downstairs, and he came across to me. And out of nowhere, he picked me up by my throat and flung me at least six feet. I landed on my back. And I just remember I stopped breathing because of my asthma. I, I went blue in the face and my mum came out and she saw and she picked me up, turned me upside down, tried to tap me on my back and do whatever. Now I came back to con like consciousness and I started breathing. And I started crying. I, I wasn't crying, but I was crying. It was a very hushed cry because I was scared. And my mum didn't know what happened. My mum kept on asking me. I said, nothing, nothing, nothing. I, I don't remember speaking. I don't remember saying anything, but I just said nothing. And then she asked him. And he was like, I don't know. I don't know. She just stopped breathing. Then I think the other incident, incident was... I was... I I believe I was about close to ten or maybe nine and a half or something, I don't know. Can't really remember the ages. But it was book day, of course. I am growing up, mind you, when I, where I used to go to school, I used you could always catch me in the library, in the book corner, or even after school I'd go to the library and sit and read comics. Cause I used to love the superheroes. Cause I used to sit and imagine that I wish I was a superhero. I wish I had a superhero save me. So I guess that's the correlate. That's the kind of connection I had with comic books, and I still do, still do. So I remember it was book day, and I got a one pound. We always used to get one pound vouchers in primary school. I'm sure everyone remembers that. So of course, I think I was in year six at the time. Got book voucher. And my mum used to work in a retail, small retail company at the time. I'm not going to say the name. So I ran to my mum and I was like, oh, mum, 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 I've got a one pound voucher. She was, of course, at work. So she was like, OK, I'll finish up in a bit. Go, because it was a shopping centre and all the security guards knew me. So they, they would make sure I wouldn't go out. Um, I, I was aware enough. So I went to good old W.A. Smith a few shops down and I, I, I was looking at the books. And there was a joke book and it was about six ninety nine. 
and I really wanted it. It was a joke book and then you could fill in the stuff. It was quite interesting. And I remember I had the one pound voucher, so I just like, oh, I need five pounds more. I need five pounds more and then I can go and get it. So I ran back to my mum and I said, mum, can I please, 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 please have five pounds? She's like, I don't have the money. One of her colleagues, um, I still remember to this day, he was like 18. And he heard me and he took me to the side and he gave me about 15 pounds. And he said, go get yourself two books. Or get yourself one book, get the book that you want, and then bring me back all the change. And I looked at him and I was like, but my mum, my mum's not going to appreciate this. My mum's going to get really angry with me. He was like, she won't know. But I said, I don't have money to pay you back. Now, mind you, I'm a nana. I think I was nine and a half years old. Yeah, I believe so. I was thinking, at that time, I'm thinking that, that that's where my thinking is. I can't pay you back for what you're giving me. So, I, I took the money. He insisted. I took the money. I went to WH Smith. And I got the book and I ran back and I gave it to him. And I said, thank you. My mum found out, of course. My mum said, no, I'll pay you back for giving him the book. Thank you so much. And then later on, she was very quiet. And I knew instantly she was pissed off and she was angry. Anyways, I went home and her boyfriend, of course, was there. The next morning I had school. And this is very hard. Now, I'm not going to go into the details. But... In the morning, of course, my mum woke me up for school. She went back to bed, but I had to get ready myself and I had my dress and everything. Uh, I wouldn't eat in the morning. Breakfast was zilch for me. I wouldn't eat in the morning because I was only nice. I didn't want to make breakfast for myself, you know. So that was a routine. No breakfast in the morning. And I walked into my mum's room and I said, Mum, I'm going... And her boyfriend got up and started saying, oh, you, you begged for money. And he's just going in at me. And he started beating me. He started slapping me. He started hitting me. And yeah, it was, I had bruises. Of course, nothing was done about this. And I went to school. I left for school. I remember it was Memorial Day. So I was standing the first person in line. And I used to love my primary school teacher. She, she was amazing. This teacher was absolutely amazing. Uh, she was wonderful. Um, so we stood there for one minute. I was very, very quiet. We stood there for one minute. Silence, of course, out of respect. And then we started walking up the flight of stairs to our class. And of course, like I said, I always used to get bullied in school. So I was, I was getting bullied and I heard someone, a boy say something and I immediately, halfway up the stairs, I just started screaming. On the top of my lungs, I just started screaming and crying. And my teacher was kind of shocked. She looked at me and she hugged me. And I still remember she hugged me and we went up to the class, of course. And she took me to the side and she asked me what's wrong. And I kept on saying, she has to, she had to ask me like probably a good 20 times what is wrong. She had to gain my trust. I was the sort of girl that, I was the sort of child that wouldn't talk. 
no matter how wrong was going, what was going on, I wouldn't talk. I just didn't have the courage to talk. I was the most silent child. So eventually I told her. And my words were, I, I, I don't want anything done by the... I don't want anything to happen to my mum. I don't want to go to foster home. I don't want nothing. Nothing. I, I don't want it, my mum being in trouble. It's not her fault. <laughs> Mind you, I was just a child and I'm saying it's not her fault. She promised me she wouldn't say anything. She saw the bruises. She hugged me. And she said, I wish I, if you would let me, I could do more for you. And I said, no. That was our secret from then. But she always took extra care of me. Always. Anyways. There came a time. I remember my mum was giving me a shower. Because, yeah, no doubt. I was old enough to take a shower on my own. But I used to leave the shampoo in my hair always. So my mum used to. She used to wait till I, I've washed myself. And then come and wash my hair for me. So she... I remember she was drying me and he came in. I was like, oh, I just need something. And I'm just a little girl. Of course, I was growing. It's not like I wasn't growing. I had my periods at a very early age. I remember he slapped me so hard on my thigh. Like, really, really hard that I couldn't actually walk properly for... I think almost two days and I had a very, very big bruise. I didn't say anything. And multiple things carried on happening. You know, there there was a time where I was downstairs and my mum was upstairs and he was downstairs. He came downstairs and he was sitting and he made me sit on his lap and yeah, it was it was very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. And I said I want to go upstairs. So I ran upstairs to my mum's room where the light was on and she was sitting in bed. And I started colouring in my colouring book. And he walked up the stairs and he was, he was like pointing at me to come downstairs. And I said, I just shook my head. No, 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 no. <coughs> so I just... I just sat there silently. And eventually my mum got rid of him because he used to hit her too. He was physical towards her. And then later on, I think my mum found out that he had actually, he was, he was a criminal and she had no idea. During this time, my mum had a best friend and his girlfriend and he used to come every Friday. And they were they were lovely. They they were the two best people that I used to admire seeing every weekend because he used to come in, and he, I used to like Michael Jackson growing up. And he used to he used to, it was his favorite too. So he used to take me in his little car. He had a Mini Cooper at the time, and he used to take me. And he used, he used to be like every Friday, he'd be like, "What do you want? McDonald's or KFC or Pizza Hut? What do you want? You tell me it now. We will go get it." And it was a treat for me always. So, you know, I'd say whatever and then we'll go get it and we'll be listening to Michael Jackson. And he was he was an absolute amazing person growing up. And he was the one who gave me the timetables because I was pretty rubbish at maths because I couldn't focus at maths. 
So I remember he said one one Friday, he was like, okay, that's it. You're going to write down every day, three times a day, you're going to write down times table from 1 to 13. And I did that, no, 1 to 12, sorry. So I did that all throughout the week, three times a day, religiously. I literally remembered my times table thoroughly because of him. He taught me how to look at the clock, how to read the time. He was a great help. And, you know, when I first started my period, I mean, his girlfriend, she was absolutely lovely. She taught me what to do and what not. Yeah, my, my home, home life wasn't the greatest. There were times there was no food. There was times that clothes were very limited. There was times there was no affection. There was no love. Just two people living under a roof, you could say. That's all I remember. And if someone asked my mum, she remembers it differently. But that's, that's her thing. I, I've gotten past that. I've grown past that. I think where things got really, really detrimental was I was 10. And my mum met someone in Canada or so what. And we flew out to Canada. Um, she got married to him. He was quite younger than her. And she, my mum had this paranoia of... She was just paranoid. She had trust issues herself in every relationship. And she always had bad relationship choices. Bad, like really bad. And... By the way, guys, sorry. I've got this song, Unstoppable, by Sia. Because this song... Yeah, this song resonates with me because it's very hard to do this episode and I need that motivation. So you're going to hear this song on a repeat behind me. Um, yeah, we went to Canada. It was lovely in Canada. I absolutely loved it. And I remember I made friends with a neighbour there. His name was Ryan. He was so wonderful. He was at my age. He was so nice to me. I remember, I think my first kiss was with him. Actually, second. Um, was with him, because I had a crush on him. And he had a little puppy. Uh, he had a chocolate Labrador, which I absolutely loved. <coughs> and, um, yeah. I saw some very upsetting things in Canada with my mum's relationship. How she behaved, or how she acted, or what she did, and a lot of physicalness and a lot of emotional trauma physical trauma with her not me at that time nothing apart from that I was I, I didn't you know I was a very quiet child and I was in my own thing uh, nobody really cared what I did um, but then we came back to London and she came back with him as well and I think I'd had enough at this point I was just fed up. I was fed up of school. I was fed up of home. I was fed up of life. And I think my suicidal attempts begun at that time where I would try. I would try by choking myself as much as I could. But of course, those you're a kid. Those little hands don't work. I would try crossing the road when I wasn't supposed to be crossing the road and I wouldn't talk about it I wouldn't tell anybody and I'd just suffer in silence it was like someone had put a duct tape over my mouth practically and I couldn't talk when I got to 11 
and I was about to turn 12, I ran away from home because I was so tired. I was just, I didn't, I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be at home anymore. I just wanted to go and live my life the way I wanted to live it in peace. And I thought someone else will find me and probably, you know, take care of me. It'll be better than what I get at home, which is nothing. <laughs> Funny mistake I made was I ran to my best friend's house. Well, according to that time, she was sort of my best friend. Not really my best friend, but my friend. I ran to her house. <laughs> and um, her mum knew my mum, of course. And she rang my mum. And my mum came running. Uh, yeah, she came running. She took me home. And she was she was a bit... It stirred her. I think the next day she asked me, um, where do you want to go? And I was like, what do you mean? Do you want to go Barbados or do you want to go Pakistan? Of course, like I said, I was I was born in Pakistan, but I was raised up in England. This this is home for me. And I was like, because I remember a long time ago, my mum did send me to Pakistan um, to live a month with her family. And <clears throat> I don't really I remember, but I don't really remember much because I was quite young. I was only like six, I think. Um. But this time around, I was like, we'll go, because that, I just remember good fond memories. So I said, okay, we'll go Pakistan. And we went, and we flew out there. I didn't realize I was going to spend the next nine years of my life in that country. And to be honest, it was a break. It was different. But I think I succumbed to a lot of culture, a lot of religion, a lot of family drama, a lot of toxic patterns, a lot of a lot of things in the in, in my mum's side family. And my mum left me again. She left me, she came back here. She left me with her family, which was her aunt and her aunt's two daughters and oldest son. Well the third daughter she was married off anyways. Funny enough, I was the whitest out of all of them. So I was like the tr- prize. I was the trophy. So they would parade me around in different families because, of course, I, I was 12. And over there, a 12-year-old girl is quite mature. She's a girl. She's, she's almost going into womanhood. And they would parade me. They would make me wear things like, you know, jeans, skinny jeans, really tight jeans and tops. And they would do my makeup and, yo, you, you, we got to go to this family's house. We've got to go to that family's house. So the boys would look at me or the family would look at me and say, ooh, they've got this girl. And then all the while at home, they would always emotionally blackmail my mum. Can you send this stuff? Can you send this stuff from England? Can you send that stuff from England? And my mum would. And my mum was very, she was the great person to other people. She would give the shirt off of her back to another person, but not so much for me. And she had a good heart, and she still has a good heart. I'll give her that, but she just, 
I'd say she was caught up in her life. She was caught up with a lot of lot of problems herself. And I remember I remember my mum's aunt's two daughters, they would always like stand in front of the house and there was a park right across. And it's a big thing in Pakistan, like you can't flirt, you can't have boyfriends, and it's a very like big thing. And so they would stand there, and every time a boy would look across, they would blame me. Oh, Ilma's standing there, she's flirting. And I was younger, they were like good 19, 17, and I was younger than, way, way younger than them, but I was the blame spot. And I was the one who would do all the household chores from sweeping, cleaning, mopping, everything I would do. I remember they put me, my mum sent the money to put me in school, but they didn't put me in school. They put me in a very small school that one of their daughters was a teacher at. There was barely like four students in the class. I remember one of the boys, he was older than me. I put, used to put my bag on, the, on, my, on my right hand side and they were like the old fashioned one desk chairs. Like there's a chair and then the desk is attached to it. Really old fashioned. And every time he used to go for his bag, he used to pass my side. So his hand used to touch my side and he used to do it on purpose. Then I think there was a time where and this is going to sound very, very harsh. You know, growing up in an abusive home, growing up in a negative, neglect, neglected home or seeing, you know, sexual stuff at a very young age. I thought that was normal. It's very sad to say, but I thought that was normal. I thought that was what people wanted from me. I thought that's what I, I was for, made for, nothing else. I wasn't worthy of anything else growing up. And I remember he dragged me into the bathroom and he did what he did. And I thought it was okay. But as I grow up, as I, I, at the age or how I'm talking about it now, I reflect back and I think that wasn't okay. But anyways, that happened. Um, and he spread it around that, you know, I willingly. And my, of course, my, the, my mum's cousin who's the teacher, she found out and she told her mum and I got beaten the crap out of because they thought I was the... They named me everything. I'm the slut. I'm the whore. And, I, you know, in Pakistan, it's a very big thing. Oh, you're a Western child. You're a Western girl. This is what they do. They're so easily laid over there and blah, blah, blah. They, they all planted it all over me. Again, I tried running away for the second time in a third world country that I had nowhere to go. <laughs> Funny enough, I ran to the school. <laughs> I was I was caught out, I was found, I was dragged back home. My mum was called. And funny enough, my mum didn't tell me, but she got married to someone. So she came, she took me, we, we started living in Pakistan, she bought a place, and I met her new husband. For the first two years, her husband was okay. I think at this point, I was like 15. Her husband was okay. Never, you know, never harmed me. I mean, they used to have fights, and a lot of it would be physical fights, uh, emotional, physical. They had 
you know, I'd always be the one in the middle because I didn't want to see my mum getting hurt. But then if I look back now, it was her provoking and starting it for no reason. Then after two years later, the third year, I'd say, everything changed. I was 15 and a half, going on to be 16. He started talking about my marriage and even made my profile on an online wedding site. Um, then he'd start doing weird things. Like he would, I, I was, of course, I, by this time I had, you know, my boobs were big, you know, I, I was a full fucking girl, a woman almost. And he used to come into my room without knocking, barged in, and say, oops, sorry. Then he would sometimes, he would walk from the main door, start taking his clothes off because my door would be open and he would see. I, I, like, he was in my visual, so he would hope that I would see. He used to walk from there all the way to his room naked. I never looked, but my mum caught him once or twice. And he used to walk around the house just tight boxes on. So I, I could literally see, like, sometimes, yeah, yeah, it was obvious. It was very, very fucking obvious. And then my mum had some training somewhere as an English teacher or something. And she left me with him for seven days. Well, it was supposed to be seven days, but she came back within, like, I think four and in that time period, I don't think I ever felt more com uncomfortable. I would shut myself in my room and not come out. And a couple of times he tried, but you know, then stopped. And I would just pray, I hope my mum comes back. I hope my mum comes back. And when she did, I told her, I said, mum, I'm very uncomfortable. Not much was done. But it was, yeah, it was my six, this went on from 16 to 16 and a half to almost, almost 17, hitting 17. My mum found out one day, um, her dad died. And my mum hated her dad, by the way. But she found out her dad died. And it was a very, yeah, she wanted to go to the village to see him, see his body, and you know, we had to go to the funeral. And by this time, I had actually evolved, and I was a bit more religious. And I, I, funny enough, growing up, I was very, I didn't like people touching me. I never used to give my mum a hug. I used to cringe. My teeth used to clench every time someone would give me a hug, or someone would touch me. I didn't like it. I would flinch. I, I was not. I was a very quiet child and I didn't, I, I was pretty much the loner and the loser, as everyone would like to call it. I was the weird child. When I got to, when we got to the village, of course my mum's husband was there with them. I think this is when I really, my life really took a toll. So... We went, you know, one week we stayed and then of course, of course the houses over there are quite huge. They're like, you can put 
four English double terraced houses together to create one house over there. They're mansions over there. And of course, my mum's family is from a rich family. They're not poor. So her dad's house was empty and we stayed in there with my mum's husband and me. And at this point, there was just, you know, I had this intuition, this gut feeling that something wasn't right. Something wasn't right. And at that time, funny enough, there was a proposal that came in for me from my mum's first cousin, who was 35 years old. Just at that time, at the funeral time, they, they put in a proposal, oh, your daughter's really pretty and... She looks very, you know, decent. I would like her to, you know, I send a proposal for my son who's 35 years old. And mind you, that's my mom's first cousin. Literally first cousin. I... I said I wasn't really, I wasn't, I didn't want my mum to spoke to me and I was like, no. But then something happened during that time, and it was, it was the fact that, this is hard. So anyways, we were at my mum's dad's, dad's house. Of course, he's buried, gone, dead. And we're staying there, my mum's husband at the time. Funny, he went out to get some groceries, he comes back, he closed the main door. He shut all the windows and it was kind of weird for me because I was thinking, why have you closed the door? Why have you locked it? Why have you shut the windows? And he wouldn't let go of the keys. He was keeping the keys. And then he said, oh, I'll cook for you. He's never cooked for us. He's never cooked for my mum. And I just felt something wrong. There's something not right. This is not okay. So when he cooked the food and he bought it and put it in front of us, my mum was already upset. And he started going off at my mum. And I, I said, why aren't you eating? And she said, I'm not hungry. And I said, I pitched in for the first time in my life. I, I took a stand and I said, I don't want to eat your food because I don't know if you've poisoned it. Why have you shut the doors and why have you shut the windows? Why is it that you're not letting go of the keys? Are you trying to poison me and my mum? That was the first time I actually ever spoke up. Um, he then, you know, told me to shut up and then turned to my mum and said, oh, look at your daughter, she's got a mouth on her. And he got up and he was about to hit my mum and that's when I got up for the first time in my life and I stood in the middle and I said, you dare touch my mum again. The next thing I know, and by this point, I remember vaguely that I peed myself because I was that scared and I was flung against the floor and I was hit over and over again. I don't remember if it, I don't know, but I did hear a belt buckle. And when I say this guy, he's six foot and he was big, he was big, he was, he was fat, but he was muscular big as well. And he had army boots on, like caterpillar boots. I just remember those being kicked with them. And I heard a belt buckle and that's all I remember. I wasn't crying. I wasn't even making a sound. 
I was just saying, I, I, I think I said stop, but I don't know. And I remember my mum coming in the middle and stopping and then trying to pick me up. And she walked me towards the sofa and I sat down. And I was so, so out of it. I felt so weak. And I just didn't have any energy. And she said something to me and I just can't remember what it was. I don't remember clearly what it was. And I fell asleep or I don't know, I lost consciousness. I don't know, one of the two. And when I woke up, he, he was preparing to go. He was gonna leave and I think he, I guess he left. Um, my mum then took me to one of her uncle's houses. And at this point, I was, I do remember I'd broken a rib in my chest and it was untreated and I didn't really know what to say because I was so, so gone. I was just blank. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to feel. And I just remember my mum taking me to her uncle's house and she was, you know, her stories and whatever. And then at night time I fell asleep and I just thought, what if I just killed myself and I killed my mum? What if, what if we just weren't alive, this all wouldn't happen? Trust me, I had those thoughts and I'm sharing it openly. Because when you go through pain, trust me, you do, it's not... People who say, oh, we can't share the darkest things. No, no, no. Everyone goes through such a dark moment in their life where they think of these things. They do. Everyone thinks of it. Don't, do not tell me otherwise. So don't judge. You can feel free to judge me. But this is something from my past when I was only 17. Roughly 16, 17. And I just thought, I kept on thinking, kept on thinking. And then I woke my mum up. And I was like, I need to talk to you. We went to the bathroom. And we spoke. And I made up a story. I just said, you know the proposal that you got from your first cousin? Can I marry him? Can you just get me married off to him? Either that, or just leave me on the road. Just leave me on the road so I can live my life the way I want to live it. I just don't want to be anywhere near you. I don't want to live with you. I don't want my life with you. And yeah, I got married off at the age of 17 to a 35 year old in Pakistan. I, of course I said yes. This is the person I want to marry because at that time I just wanted to get away from my mum and the life that was surrounding her and that pain. And I thought maybe this is my option. This is my better option. Maybe this is something I'd be, I don't know. I don't know. I just wanted to get out and that, I, that was my survival mode kicked in. <laughs> at least did someone know that I actually didn't want to get married. Who would at 17 to a 35 year old? Especially in a third world country where you have nobody. So, that happened. I... When I say that I was... I was... Although I did tell you guys that this boy, when I was like 12, 13, he did something in the bathroom with me. Funny enough, my virginity was still intact when I was 17. 
and I was so severely traumatized that I didn't want, you know, the first night of our marriage, I was like, no, I have my periods, I don't want to do anything. He waited for a week, and then after a week, there was no yes, no. And I think when it happened, I couldn't walk for five days. I couldn't pee properly. And of course, my virginity was broken. I wasn't a virgin anymore. And... Yeah, so three and a half years I spent in a house with a man who was narcissistic, the man who only thought about himself. The person who used his old parents, like I used to be very, I was very family orientated, so I used to look after his mum and dad. I used to do everything. He, this guy didn't work, this guy didn't do anything. All he did was sleep the entire day. He lived off his 70 year old farm parents, you know, that made ends, ends meet. Um, he was aggressive. And he had a lot of demons of his own. And then his his family was very judgmental, you know. I'm the oldest daughter-in-law. I had to present myself in a certain way. Yeah, there was a lot of culture and religion involved. And when I realized I had enough and I didn't want it anymore, it was three and a half years later. During that time, I got the chance to meet my brother. I got the chance to meet my dad for the first time. And no, it wasn't the brightest. It wasn't the greatest situation. My dad didn't care at all. He never cared. He showed, he, uh, when he met me, yeah, it was like he saw me and he was quite surprised, but he didn't care. My brother, a totally different story. He was nice to me to the point where when he tried to talk to me about this girl that he liked and he wanted to marry and he asked me if I could talk to dad about it and I said, I can't, because I don't know. And he turned on me. The amount of abuse I got from that person was unreal. And then my dad's mother, she was a total maniac, another maniac. And this is why I say my mum was married into that family, into their, into my dad's, you know, and I kind of understood. That's the point when I started understanding the shit my mum had seen, the life my mum had seen. And kind of made sense of, okay, where she went, where her life turned up, why I had to go through some things as well with her, why her life choices were terrible because of what she had seen and she didn't have any guidance. Then... My mum had come back after three and a half years. And I said to her, and I said, I don't want to live here anymore. She'd come back to England at that time. I said, I don't want to live here anymore, mum. I can't do this. I really can't. I've tried. I've tried for three and a half years, but I can't do this anymore. So she convinced her uncle and said, oh, I'll, I'll take Ilma with me and, you know, we'll call her husband over to England and he can have a job and settlement and everything here, so, you know, but she has to come back. And they believed, they fell for it. And I was 21 when I came back to England. Um, I was 21 when I came back to England 
Of course, my mum was doing the same shit. There was no change there. But then this time round, I would get threats from, of course, her family that I was just, they started shaming me, saying I had been cheating, I'd been sending nudes to people. Although, let me just tell you, this was a village in a third world country where I used to fucking break tree branches and fucking cook outside like a literal, like old fashioned, complete, okay, backward lifestyle. This was nothing like what you see in England. So I had no phone. And the phone that I did have didn't have much signal. And it was only meant for my mum, dad, my, my brother, or my husband at the time. So yeah, I used to get threats of, he's gonna come to England, he's gonna kill me, and he's never gonna divorce me, and just all of that stuff. And I was 21. So, you know when people say, when did you develop mental health? When did you... Uh, there's more to it. Of course, I'm going to, in the next, because this has gone on for 49 minutes and almost an hour, this podcast, this episode. Um, so I'm going to wrap this up. But when people say, when did you develop mental health? I developed mental health and depression at a very young age. A lot of trauma happened. A lot of painful things I'd seen. A lot of neglect I'd seen, a lot of emotional abuse, a lot of beatings, bruises. But I vouched myself growing up, looking at my mum, looking at the people around me that did these things, and I said, I will never ever be like them. I, to my heart's core, am a good person. I'm a kind person. I know I'm a kind person. The amount of shit that's happened to me in my life, I've never ever ever turned around and wanted to hurt. I w- not gonna, no, I'd, I have wanted to, I have wanted to, but that was out of anger in that minute, but then give me about a day or two and that anger's gone out of my system and I'm like, no, there's, there's a reason they're, they're like this, there's, there is a reason they've become like this. So my mental health, my depression started probably when I was, what, 9, 10, 11 years old, but I didn't recognise it at the time. My anxiety probably started when I came back to London. Because when I came back to London at the age of 24, from the ages of 13 to 21 to the age of 25, I could not walk down a high street. I could not be around people. I used to shake. You could physically see my body shaking. With, with nervousness, with panic, with anxiety. I used to stutter when I used to talk. I used to hyperventilate getting on the bus. I would not eat outside. I refused to eat my lunch or my food outside in front of the people, thinking what would they think? They would shame me, they would judge me. I was... I had no confidence. I had no self-esteem. I always used to look at myself in the mirror and I used to say, I'm the ugliest person alive. I don't deserve happiness because of everything that happened. Because of everything I saw. I always thought I wasn't valuable. I wasn't good enough. This is why things happened to me. 
This is why nobody ever appreciated or loved me because I wasn't worthy of love. And I suffered this till I suffered lack of lack of confidence and self-esteem till the age of let's say 23, 24, till my son was born. And I I was yeah, I was about 24 when I had my son. People used to say to me, "Oh, you're so beautiful, you're so pretty." And I used to laugh at them and say, "I don't know how you see it. I don't see it." I am the worst and the hardest critic on myself. But going through everything that I've been through, I vouch myself that I would never ever hurt someone else. I might get angry and I might say words, no doubt. But do I really mean them? Not really. I say things out of anger or when I get upset or when I'm uncomfortable so the other person realizes and re- says, "Oh, I need to stop." because she's obviously this is making her uncomfortable this is making her upset yeah this was my story from that age and when i came back to london of course my mum was in the same predicament and to be honest with you i didn't have no guidance but i took my life in my hands where i started saying no i joined college i went for interior design I got myself a job and I started to slowly started to do me a little bit but I still lacked confidence I still shook in heavy crowds I still sh- you know had a lot of things and during that time yes I met my son's dad I was going on to be 22 but that relationship is going to be in another episode <laughs> but i will leave this off when when people ask about suicidal and all of that yeah i've you know from the ages of first i tried it when i was 9 or 8 somewhere like that when i tried to choke myself and then i think i was 17 18 where i tried to cut my hands and then i think when i reached 21 when i was first in college a few things happened in college where i actually overdosed on a lot of not pills that i wasn't supposed to take and I ended up in hospital and I did that again but funny enough I remember this I never used to tell anybody what I did I never used to tell anybody because I know the last time right my ex he part he provoked me to my darkest moment where I lived a lot of my pain and he said oh I'm only doing it for attention seeking or I'm only doing it for this I remember one thing and I would say this strongly the times that I've tried in my life to myself nobody knew about it till today till this podcast till this episode reaches whoever reaches I never ever told anybody I never I never wanted anybody to pity me I never wanted anybody to stop me I wanted it to be done I wanted my life to be over and I said that's it I'm I'm going to die now this is the time it's going to be done I never talked about it but somehow I still survived it. I ended up living through it to tell the story today. All right guys, I'm going to wrap up this episode. I, this episode's gone way too long, but I will do another one hopefully um to wrap this up and give my final um conclusion or whatever, final opinion or feedback or whatever you call it.